More Questions Than Answers with Julie Panessi, brought to you by the Democracy Fund. Hi, everybody. Julie here. I am very happy to be with Denis uh, Rancor, former professor of physics in the University of Ottawa and a researcher for the Ontario Civil Liberties Association. And the reason why I want to talk with Denis today is being so gracious. I know it's a really busy time, but um, Denis, along with Joseph Hickey, wrote a response piece to the paper that was published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal on Monday, written by David Fisman. The title of this paper, <laughs> if I could remember it, it was very long, but basically my recollection, right, is that, um, you know, one of the more subtle but problematic aspects of the COVID narrative has been this idea that the unvaccinated are dangerous, that they're to be feared, that they're to be hated, and that really got a boost uh, with this article. And the study um, claims to have found that when the vaccinated and the unvaccinated mix, then the unvaccinated people contribute to the infections of those who are vaccinated. Have I got that part right? Not, not, it's, that's not <laughs> okay. precise. Um, it, it, it's complicated because, you know, it's, it's a scientific paper and I think the authors are relying on complexity and subtlety uh, to not, so, so that, I mean, there's a lot of room for misinterpretation here of what they're actually saying. Can we start um, with um, modeling? Because mm -hmm. I, as a non-scientist, hear this word modeling, mathematical modeling, um, epidemiological modeling. When I hear that a study has been done, I'm thinking, okay, trial participants, actual people enrolled. Is that what modeling is? And if not, can you explain what modeling is that's gone on in the study? That's yeah, involved? modeling is where you um, create a simulation of the world of what's happening in the world um, in so you input what the conditions of that synthetic world are you say here's the synthetic world i'm going to build here are the interactions between the components between the individuals in that synthetic society that i'm going to uh, consider here are the parameters that parameterize that interaction and then i'm going to uh, allow time to uh, advance within my simulation and I'm going to see what happens as a function of time. I'm going to have initial conditions. I'm going to start the society out in, in certain conditions and there are parameters that define the starting conditions. And then I will let time evolve in my, in my simulation and see what happens. So it's a way of uh, doing thought experiments, if you like, with the help of a computer mm -hmm. in order to see what would happen if this were true. Okay, so it's a very powerful tool in science. It's very useful. It's a it, you, you can test a hypothesis that way. You can say, well, if, if this is if this is the reality, if these are the correct mechanisms and they have uh, these magnitudes and relative importance, here's what here's what what we know from from what we know of science and the mechanisms. Here's what should happen in a society under these under these assumptions of our model. Okay, so so modeling is very powerful. Um, but it is, you, you know, physicists like to say that there's a limit, there's a fundamental limit to modeling, and, and the limit is usually expressed in, 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 in crude terms as follows, garbage in, garbage out. In other words, if Depends you... Depends what you input, what kind yeah, of... Yeah, if you, if you have the wrong parameters, you can't expect the outcome to be representative of something real. And more importantly, if your model is not realistic in terms of the interactions and its structure, then it's not modeling anything in society anyways. 
Okay, so there's two aspects. There's the parameters that you would use to characterize the mechanisms. And then there's the structure of the model and whether it correctly takes into account the actual interactions. Right. And uh, Brittle, Brittle's criticism of the Fisman article concentrates on the parameters. Okay. Our criticism of the Fisman article concentrates on the structure of the model because we found a fundamental error in the structure that allows us to conclude that his main conclusion does not follow from what he did from his model. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's a silver bullet criticism. That is the kind of criticism that should put an end to the article at the review process. Uh, that's the kind of criticism that when, a when a an editor sees that criticism, the editor is supposed to say, um, wait a minute, there's a, there's a fatal flaw here. You need to answer this before we can proceed. Right. And the, um, so there is a fatal flaw. So the question is, did the reviewers spot the fatal error? Mm -hmm. Did they uh, notify the editor? And if they did, did the editor decide to override that comment from one or two or more reviewers? So those are the questions in the review process that would have arisen. But the point is, we as outside people reading the final product, the published article, we can say, given what's written here, given the description of their model, mm -hmm. there is a fundamental structural error in the model that is such that you cannot make this conclusion. And you asked at the beginning, well, what is the conclusion that they're making? And that's an important point, okay? So the conclusion is not what, what many people would think, that unvaccinated people infect vaccinated people. That's a given. In, in, in the narrative that's expected, that's uh, accepted by most people, that's just a given, that's just, that's just reality, okay? If you're, mm -hmm. if you're infectious, uh, for whatever reason, whether you're vaccinated or not, you can infect someone else, whether they're vaccinated or not, okay? So that's a given, but that's not the point they're making. The point they're making is that unvaccinated people are contributing to vaccinated people becoming infected in greater proportion to the contacts that they have with. So that's like they count uh, for more than one person almost or something. Yes, like that. yes. In other words, the, the way that they transmit, the way that unvaccinated, the, the way that unvaccinated uh, people transmit infection is more virulent than if you were getting the infection from a vaccinated person. That's the, that's the kind of the, what, what they're trying to imply. So okay. if you were vaccinated and you were exposed to both a vaccinated person and an unvaccinated person, and you happened to contract the virus from the unvaccinated person, you would get much more sick than no, you. No, 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 that's that not the point. No, okay. that's not Can the point. Say? No, it's not, it's not that you would get more sick. Okay. It's that for, it's that, let's say, it's that, um, let's say there's a, let's say you have three contacts with an unvaccinated person. Let's say you're vaccinated and you have three contacts with an unvaccinated person, mm -hmm. then is the risk of you getting infected proportional to three? Mm. And if it were six, would it be twice that? And so on. Well, he's saying that the risk that you get infected is more than proportional to three. Okay, it's as though you had been in contact with more people than three in my mm. example okay mm. that's this that's the main conclusion of the paper so he's saying that 
the risk of infection is, uh, is uh, more than proportional to the contacts you have with those darn unvaccinated people. So they are particularly dangerous in that sense, in terms of, 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 of getting the infection. That is the main conclusion of the paper. That conclusion does not follow from what is actually done in the paper. That is, so that is, a, that is a, uh, an incorrect statement that uh, Fishman et al are making. It not, 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 it's not that the statement is incorrect, it's that it does not follow from what they did and the parameters that they introduced. It does not follow. You cannot make that conclusion on the basis of their model. This is not, you know, I, I looked through the article that you um, wrote for the OCLA, and I've read through Byram's article as well. And these are um, not papers that are easily accessible for the non-specialist, nor maybe should they be, because it's important that we have rigorous scientific debate in the public sphere. But I really want to uh, sort of try to push you today on understanding for the average person yes. you know, what is at stake in this in this kind of debate and one thing I often wonder is what where is the data that scientists like Fisman Al and you and Byram uh, where is it where do you get it that you input into these models I mean if the average person yes. wants to know something like what is the rate of infection for a vaccinated versus an unvaccinated person we hear about the non-sterility of these uh, vaccines all the time well what do we know about the seriousness of illness that's happening you know where do we get that information from oh my well okay um <laughs> okay well here I'll, I'll try to put it in a nutshell that's a big, broad question, but I'll, I'll try to put it in a nutshell. Um, first, I want to answer the first part of your question, which was a comment more than a question, which is this idea that it's hard for regular people and journalists to understand our articles, our criticisms of this article and the article itself. And I want to say the following about that. It's, a, it's much easier to follow what uh, Byram is saying in his criticism than it is what we're saying in our criticism. Well, you have we're making a fundamental criticism <laughs> about the mathematical structure of the model. Okay. Right. And so that's that no journalist could have uh, understood that the that this ad hoc parameter that they were introducing was a nonsense parameter and couldn't be used in the way that they were that they were using it. No journalist could have uh, really saw that with their minds, okay? I don't think. I yeah, it that. takes it takes high level scientists to really think about what's going on here, and to discuss it, and to and to and to really pinpoint that. Mm -hmm. Whereas with uh, Byram's criticism is about you know the, the the parameters are just wrong, and you can under, a lot of the all of these parameters can be understood uh, on a, in an intuitive sense. You know how effective how effective is the vaccine it can be understood and so on so that's that's an easier that's an easier criticism to understand so i just want to make the difference between those two kinds of things mm -hmm. um, now um, your question is well where do we get the data to to uh, derive the parameters that we then input into these models or how do we, how does this all work well the, the the thing is the the parameters that you input are kind of um, deduced parameters from real things happening in the world that you observed as scientists. So they're parameters that are already partway into theory. They're not directly measurable. For example, you have what's called the, 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 the R0 or the, 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 the number of people that on average you infect 
uh, in the society at, at in under the initial conditions. Well, that that's that's already a theoretical concept. Okay, you don't measure that directly. You mm-hmm. have to you have to uh, study a population and how how quickly they get infected and do tracing and do all kinds of things in Are order we to doing estimate. That? Is anyone doing that in society? Oh yeah, the, 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 the scientific okay. literature is full of articles that try to estimate what is the true efficacy of the vaccines. What is the true, uh, uh, how, how, how does transmission operate? You know, this is what science does. We try to figure these things out. Um, um, but but there's what I'm trying to explain though is that there's a layer of parameters that are needed to input in, into these ultra simple models of reality. And those parameters themselves have to come from empirical measurements of what's going on mm-hmm. in the, with the disease, okay? So like the, part about, the part about real- how you get the parameters mm-hmm. There's a lot of uncertainty there. There's a lot of assumptions. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of, there's a lot of complexity in how you actually get those parameters to start with. And then if you agree what the parameters are, then there's the idea that you're using them somehow in this, in this model. And, that, and there's complexity there as well, okay? So that's the kind... So for example, in our criticism, we pointed out that um, the... Uh, the number of people who um, are not immunized by full vaccination, that's something that they they input in their model, right, as being 0.2, so 20%. And we point out that there is a detailed study in the community of how transmission is happening among people who live together and that, and, and, and when you analyze that data, when you look at what they found, a longitudinal study, a very detailed study where you're actually characterizing uh, whether, what the person's infected with and what their symptoms are, and you really look at it carefully and you study several uh, living groups like that, and you deduce um, the, the fractions that uh, get infected despite the fact that they were fully vaccinated, Mm-hmm. then they get, instead of 0.2, their numbers would give us 0.66. So you go from 20% to 66%. And this is with uh, the Delta variant. So the same variant that Fishman was talking about, there has been a study. And so that study, the empirical study, would, would generate that you should take that parameter to be 0.66 rather than 0.2. Mm-hmm. Well, that changes everything. And how so? Can you explain that in very simple terms? Why is that so significant? That well, that, that means that the, the vaccine efficiency that's assumed, 80%, is actually 34%. Mm-hmm. That means that vaccination has very little uh, protection effect whatsoever. And that's very uh, significant. So you, you, would have like to model, you would have to model that more mm-hmm. realistic situation and see what happens there. And you would have to not make an error in your model and you would have to not introduce an ad hoc parameter which, which um, gives you the right answer, if you like. Uh, you know, uh, you'd have to not do all those things. You'd have to use that correct parameter and then see what happens. And that would be a different scenario. You know, this is, um, as I mean, I'm very 
clearly not a scientist, but what I worry about as an ethicist looking at an article like this is some of the language, like, you know, when the authors uh, say, quote unquote, the impact of the mixing of the vaccinated and the unvac unvaccinated and quote unquote, com complete like with like mixing. You know, it's very reminiscent of, of segregating language that we've seen with racial segregation. And we've worked very hard, I think, in Western societies to try to reduce the stigmatization of people with infectious diseases or, or other reasons for stigmatizing and segregating them rather than trying to compound that stigmatization. One thing I'm curious about from you is, I mean, that kind of moral language is um, not something I see in scientific papers very often. Bioethics papers, yes, but not scientific papers. Is that surprising to you? Do you think that these authors are stepping outside of their scope of competency and reaching into some moral, cultural, um, ideological sort of grab bags to emphasize the conclusion they're trying to draw, to make it seem more like there's reason to be fearful and loathing of the unvaccinated than there really is. Right. I'm going to open and close a parentheses quickly before I answer that <laughs> question, that very deep question. And it's the following point that I want to make is that what we pointed out in our criticism is not that the fundamental model, like it's not an arithmetic error. It's not a, an obvious error. Okay. What they've done is they've taken values predicted by their model and made a whole new parameter, an index. And then they gave that index a meaning which they're not entitled to give because it's, it doesn't mean what they say it means, okay? And so they, they fabricated an index in order to be able to say what they wanted to say. That's the impression that you get. And when I read the paper, it's palpable. The, the let, let me say the, the pro-segregation, anti-individual freedom, pro-vaccine outlook is absolutely palpable in, in the way that this article is written. It's, it's, there's, there's, there's a stench of it, if you like. And that's unusual. Usually scientists are not that transparent in terms of their biases, okay? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I feel that it's palpable. One can argue this, um, but he, he, you know, they go out of their way explaining all the wonderful um, uh, limits on freedom that are already legal in society, such as preventing um, people from, from smoke, you know, secondhand smoke uh, regulations, forcing people to wear uh, seatbelts in their cars and so on. So um, it's almost like we've done this before, we can do it again. Uh, that, those ki that kind of discussion is very disturbing to me, you know, in a scientific paper like this, because then the discussion becomes about its legitimate to limit freedoms, not what the scientific results are. Right? And then letting the policy, ethical, legal questions get settled outside of the context of that that paper. It, you right, know, if right. I understand, but, but, but you 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 asked you asked a broader question, and I want to address it the best I can. I would say the following thing. Um, you know, I think we have to admit that in society, well, there's a hierarchy. There, is, um, there are structures, there are institutions, there are influential people, and there are large networks of folks who fabricate narratives, basically tell lies, and who benefit from those narratives. 
who benefit from them in a real world, in a real way, in terms of their societal status, in terms of the economic advantages they're going to derive from these narratives and so on. So this is something that is uh, part of our society, that you have these, this, these industries of networks that fabricate narratives. And they can, and a lot of these networks are very powerful. They can buy universities, they can buy scientists, they can buy publishers, they can buy whatever they want. And so when they get into fabricating these narratives, um, they're not fooling around. Uh, and it's all you hear. And um, it's, 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 they have disproportionate influence in society. And the narratives are egregiously false. They're, they're just, it's just is that horrible. What you think is going on here? Do you think these scientists, yes. I'm going to ask you, is this uh, careless scientific work or is there something more disingenuous at work? And who is ultimately to blame if this is poor science yes. and it's published in our top medical you journal? Know, as a social scientist, I have to look at this in, in, and analyze it in terms of uh, the dominance hierarchy of society, the various networks that exist, the influences, uh, where, where the money is, where power lies, what, who has an interest in achieving what. And I, I, I have to interpret it in these terms um, unambiguously for me. Um, and the, the, the other thing too is that um, the, the, these lies are, are, are so big to my mind as a scientist, that, that it can't be just errors. It can't be just randomly, or it can't even be connected to reality. And, and so it's not about science. It's not about discovering truth because the, the lies are just too big. And they're, they're so big that it's even hard. You, when you start describing the nature of these lies, you sound crazy because they're so big that they're everywhere in society. Everyone's accepted them. All the politicians, the, the media people, everyone's accepted these lies. And so even trying to explain the degree to which these lies are incorrect, you sound crazy. Um, um, Someone asked me once, you know, what's wrong with a narrative anyway? And I said, well, nothing, as long as you're not begging the question. And it seems like that's what science like this might be doing, right? So you're, op you're starting with as an assumption, what it is you're ultimately trying to prove. And, and that seems to be happening in various way the, ways these days, doesn't it? And it seems like we have to be very careful not to inform our initial assumptions with, with, with ideological assumptions, with, with you know, that we're, we're not having a kind of cognitive bias in terms of the information we're picking and the information that we're, we're ignoring. Well, I think you're being way too kind to what's <laughs> going on here. Um, I, I look at Fishman et al's work and I see that they concocted a parameter that uh, is nonsensical, does not, it does not at all. And we can talk about what that parameter is. If, if you wanna go there, I'll explain it. But they concocted a, an index that uh, would seem to indicate what their main conclusion is, but it's, but it's wrong. And um, then they, in addition to that, failed to uh, look at a much simpler index, which would have told them the answer, which we graphed in our, in our which we showed a graph of in our critique, mm -hmm. uh, which does not show, which is a hard thing that does not suffer from the error that they introduced, and which doesn't show what they're saying. 
And in addition to that, they failed to notice the contradictions in their own paper. We pointed out that the figures show that their index, uh, which is uh, according to them, a measure of how, how nasty the unvaccinated are, shoots up as you increase the isolation between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated groups. So what they're saying is the, the, how dangerous the vaccinated people are uh, the unvaccinated people are increases as you isolate the two groups up to the point of total isolation where it has the maximum value. That's absurd. It's absurd. Okay. So it, it, it and they didn't, they didn't point that somehow they were silent on that. They showed the graph, but they were silent on, you know, the, 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 what it implies. They were also silent on, um, on the fact that this index, which they fabricated, drops significantly as the uh, pathogen becomes more transmissible, more, more infectious. So the, as the R0 increases, this measure supposedly of how dangerous the vaccinated people drops to zero, okay? So this would mean that the unvaccinated people become non-dangerous, uh, you know, in terms of this proportionate concept, as you as the as the uh, pandemic becomes more and more virulent, I mean it's just it's just crazy nonsense, right? And so um, this is right in their figures, and that it's a, it's a direct consequence of having introduced a nonsense index. And then we explained how and why this index is nonsense. That's what we explained uh, accurately in our paper. You see. We're, uh, we've got one minute left and we're going <laughs> to link your OCLA paper, the original paper, and um, so people can, can go and have a look at both of them. But any last words? I mean, would this paper have gotten published if, if the authors had made the corrections that you suggest? Of course. Of course, because it's a, it's a, they, it's, it's a hot topic in a sense. It's a topic of concern in society. And... Um, Pretty much anything along these lines is going to get published these days. The journals are happy to do it because they're going to get a lot of readership from it and so on. So uh, they didn't have to um, mm. fabricate this index and they didn't have to interpret things in the way that they did. And they didn't have to use the language that they did in order to justify uh, uh, curtailing freedoms and so on. They didn't have to do any of that and they still would have been published. Hmm. might not have had the splash. They might not have made the evening news, though. That's right. <laughs> Vinny, thank you so much. I wish we had longer to, to, to go in, in depth. But as I said, you've got the, the paper that you wrote for OCLA. People can go in depth. And I'm sure uh, if there are people have questions that you would be happy to have a discussion with them. Thank you so much. I hope we chat again in the future. All right. I'd be happy to. Bye now. Thanks for hanging out with me today. If you enjoyed watching this video, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to the democracyfund.ca slash donate.